Welcome back to the podcast, episode 88. As always, you're here with Hoop and Saney. Today's deep dive is on Carmelo Anthony. Boy, am I excited. Oh, I know you are. I know you are. Just just as a quick little uh, little warning from the beginning, this is going to be a Hoop Spotlight episode. That's his boy. So I'm going to let him take the, I'm going I'm to let you take the driver's seat for this one, bro. I'm going to sit passenger. I'm going to sit passenger. I appreciate that. Um, but I think before we get into it, we should explain maybe our our week and a half absence yes uh so as you guys know um we haven't po- we didn't post an episode last week we didn't post an episode this week and either this episode is technically coming late as we usually post on monday um and that's obviously on us we apologize there were a few things that kind of came up on the business end of things um so if you're a og fan as you know this was around the time where we signed our first deal and we are in the process of re-signing a new deal i'm not going to go too much into details on what's going to happen as we want to make sure everything is 100% in place before anything happens. But obviously last week was really business fulfilled. Um, It was very stressful for me and Hoop. We were trying to figure out new details for our new contract because obviously we only signed a one-year deal the year prior. And we're in a good spot now. We're able to record again, obviously stress-free. And we're going to be back to our regular posting. Again, we apologize. We should have probably let you guys off with some morning letting you know like hey we're yeah, gonna take a little free, bit of a break. free agency was wild this year free agency <laughs> was wild this year that's a but uh it's good everything's moving good we don't want you guys to think that we broke up or anything obviously i mean it's only been a week off um everybody deserves a break not that we wanted to take a break honestly i would have loved to record nah, an don't, episode don't say that no breaks yeah, yeah, no yeah, breaks. breaks no i would have loved to record an episode but genuinely like um you guys gotta understand like with the whole back end with like production and all that stuff there is a lot of things that you don't really factor in if you're a listener um, and I didn't factor in until we started doing this, right? So we wanted to make sure everything was in place before obviously getting back to it. Um, but we're in a really good spot now. I think me and Hooper are both very happy and, uh, we're able to record comfortably again. Uh, but I'm going to leave it at that. Obviously there were a few surprises that may come up in the future, but that's all I'm going to say. The, and the, the team foremost, morale is up. The team morale is up. <laughs> team chemistry plus 15%. Um, but I will say this real quick before we start the episode, as always, um, as you guys know, I mentioned it in the Jimmy episode as well. I mentioned it in all the pods, but usually at the end, I want to mention it at the beginning. We, by far, like, it's so awesome to see all the responses we get on the Spotify episode. The Jimmy one, we got the most responses by far because I said it at the beginning, so I'll love to say it again. Uh, please make sure to show love to this episode by commenting, and that includes criticism. If you have any criticism towards the episode, please let us know because we will nitpick and try to improve on anything you guys want us to improve on. And also the love we get, we genuinely sit down and we read through everything. It's so awesome to see. We also have polls that you can kind of react to that are related to the episode. It takes the click of a button and we kind of ask you guys questions. We get your guys' opinion and feedback on certain things we ask throughout the episode. And it's just so awesome to see you guys included in the stuff that we do because obviously you guys are the driving factor to everything we do over at the podcast so if you have the time please take the extra second to either show us love or criticism whatever it may be we accept both and without further ado hoop if you want to get us started with the episode i, I don't accept criticism yes <laughs> speak, speak for yourself dog <laughs> no uh, man we, we need the constructive criticism over no, here I, I agree i agree um, <laughs> but starting off with uh with mellow um the draft it was 2000 this is the the loaded draft with lebron and Darko Milicic went second to the Pistons. Uh, Chris Bosh went four after Melo went three. So it's LeBron, Darko, Melo, Chris Bosh, and then Dwayne Wade, fifth, followed up by Chris Kamen, uh, legend Kirk Heinrich, TJ Ford, the Knicks took Mike Sweetney, and Washington took Jarvis Hayes. 
Um, I want to say this real quick. Of course, out of all the players named, the one I do not recognize at all is the Knicks pick. Mike? That's all I'm gonna say. Sweet. I, I never I never heard of him either. Um, maybe I'm just young. Player comparison out of college. I mean, first off, we we don't want to get too deep into the the very early years of Melo because there's a lot of drama that happens later. Um, of course, it, in Syracuse as a freshman, he led the team to a national title. Uh, one of the best college runs that that have ever been. Um. I don't know why Darko went over Melo, but LeBron was obviously the chosen one. So um, there's a lot of what ifs with the Detroit Pistons, especially with how stacked they were defensively. If they were to draft Melo, uh, there's a lot of people who say that the coach over there would have ruined Melo because he didn't like his style of play. But that's not here nor there. He's in Denver. Um, the player comparison for Melo was Glenn Robinson, who is not like a, a household name, um, but he did average 20 per game through an 11 year career. Uh, he's a, he's a 2k, my team. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, on, uh, on Milwaukee, um, with, with the cool jerseys, with like the purple buck, like that, that's the type of era we're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> that's how the young people know. Right. He's a 2k guy with the cool Jersey. Uh, he's the number 40 man. Yeah. Strengths here. I, I have like a, a player comparison, like, a a, a draft analysis. His strengths was a fluid player who shows great athleticism despite not having overly explosive leaping ability. Possesses a quick first step, which helps him gain separation from his defender to set up a drive to the basket. Excellent slasher. Once he gets to the basket, he has the creativity to make spectacular plays due to his cat-like body control. Solid rebounder thanks to his long arms and hustle. Has range on his jump shot as he can shoot from mid-range or behind the three-point line. Has an innate feel for the game that most players have to develop. I think they were glazing his finishing Man, they got, a little too much. They uh they uh they gotta start uh paying these agents more. Or these uh not agents, sorry, these scouts. That was a beautiful, beautiful well, like you, so if I were to read that going into the league though, like reading that description of Melo and I hadn't I don't watch college basketball, that is a pretty good description of that. Yeah, Mello. and he and to be fair, like he was very athletic as a like he was, yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah. Um the thing about it, though, that I think we're kind of... I think we, we might give the scouts a little too much credit. I feel like I mentioned it before. They're literally watching the player. True. So, true. True. True it's that. Like, uh, I saw true a that. True that. Like, it's really hard to lie about a guy if you're watching Yeah, that that's long, very true. You know that's I mean? very true. But there's some, scou- there's some scouts... Like, for example, like the Curry, the, the Curry scout report is always infamous, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Some of them be gassing players up, and they come yeah. and do nothing. yeah. Um, but it always is cool to see like a scout report, which I guess you're right because we, again, like we, all of our deep dives have been on players who panned out well. So that's why yeah. the scouts to me always seem awesome. But I want to one genius. day do a deep dive. I want to do a deep dive on like Ian Mahimi or something and, <laughs> and see like what his scout report was saying. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I need to start judging scouts off of the bad players and then we'll see what, in no disrespect, how- all these players are by far miles ahead of me when it comes to life. So I'm not disrespecting anybody here, but you know, compared to other NBA players. Miles ahead of you when it comes to life. Uh, Bro, I they got a th- million dollars and I'm I trying to pay student debt. I don't think we could uh, make a Ian Mahimi episode that goes more than 20 minutes. Um, so I think instead we maybe do just a draft bust episode, which would be a lot of that fun. That would be cool. Yeah, we're, we're looking into doing deep dives on just like situations instead of just players. Yeah. Um, so that'd be dope. Uh, weaknesses here for Melo. Defensively, he needs to improve on his perimeter defense, such as lateral quickness and footwork. Anthony, at times, can be such a dominant scorer that he can freeze teammates out of a game. So getting his teammates involved in the offense should be worked on. 
pretty spot on. That is, yeah, again, like spot on. Uh, and so now he's in Denver. Yeah. Joining a 17-win franchise. Yep. And I'm going to touch base on his rookie season here, most importantly. And for the young generation that doesn't know, the 2003-2004 Rookie of the Year race. One of the most infamous Rookie of the Year battles came in the 03-04 season, where LeBron and Melo were neck and neck in their rookie campaigns. And as stated by Carmelo Anthony himself, I should have won that, everybody knows. Comparing them head-to-head, LeBron ended his rookie year being the third rookie in NBA history at the time to average 25-5 in his rookie year, putting up 20.9 points per game, 5.5 rebounds per game, and 5.9 assists per game on 43.8% from the field. Funny enough, at the time he was the third player, but guess who was the next player to do it? Tyreek Evans. Crazy, right? (laughs) Compared to Carmelo Anthony's 21 points per game with 6.1 rebounds per game and 2.8 assists per game on 44.9% from the field. Melo also had a higher win share with 6.1 compared to LeBron's 5.1. For those who don't know, win share is a measure that is assigned to a player based on their offense, defense, and playing time. Carmelo also led his team to the playoffs that season, taking the team's record from 16 or 17 and 65 the season before he joined all the way up to 43 and 39. That is absurd. While Cleveland had the same record the prior season but still finished below 500, LeBron's rookie year ending at 35 and 47 for the season, missing the playoffs. LeFraud. Mello also had a higher true shooting percentage with 50.9 while LeBron finished with 48.8, and I see a big thing around the reason why LeBron was like put ahead of Melo is because he was much better defensively, but that was just not the case. Melo had an offensive rating of 102 and a defensive rating of 105, Hold while up. LeBron James... Is, is Saney a casual? Are you using defensive rating to judge a player's defense? I'm just bringing up stats. People like that, to bring that, up the base oh, sets. That's Still, a nasty I'm still going to bring up stats. But, okay, just, okay, can I finish? Do you, do I you finish? know what defensive rating is? Yeah, it's the amount of like uh, points allowed per 100 possessions while you're on the court. But while the other four players on your team are also on the court. Don't care. I'm bringing it up. Oh, my gosh. Don't care. I'm bringing it up. It's still a stat that I think is valuable. You're still one of the five players on the court. It's still something that you could bring up. I'm just, can I, can I finish the point? All right, because I'm not ahead. saying, I'm not saying LeBron and Melo were the same let, defensively. Let, let I don't think, I don't think the defensive the rating season, leaders this season. Hold up. Go ahead. Anyway. Carry on. Carry on. LeBron had an offensive rating of 99 and a defensive rating of 104. So only had the, the 104 compared to the 105. It's not like eye popping to me. Melo seemed to have more individual and team success than LeBron in his rookie season, but LeBron still ran away with the trophy. The voting went as follows. James won 508 points over Melo's 430 points. Quick fact I want to throw in here. Kirk Heinrich finished with more points for Rookie of the Year than Chris Bosh. Just want to show some love to Captain Kirk. LeBron also received 78 of the 118 first place votes, showing that more than half of the media agreed he was the Rookie of the Year. I want to also point out some more facts that helped contribute to Melo's case for Rookie of the Year, as this is a Melo deep dive. Melo led the Nuggets to 26 more wins than they had the prior season, which at the time was the biggest jump by any team in NBA history that had won less than 20 games the prior season. And for those who want to say the Nuggets must have just had more of a complete roster, they actually lost their best player in Juwan Howard heading into Melo's rookie season and lost their second leading scorer in James Posey. To be fair, though, Marcus Canby was coming back and he was healthy for that Denver team, but Denver lost a lot of pieces. It's not like they improved tremendously. 
LeBron also averaged more minutes and had a higher usage rate than Melo. And something that leans heavily in LeBron's favor is his assists and his assist to turnover ratio. But when you're Cleveland's primary ball handler from day one, it makes sense why he dominates Melo in that category. LeBron also is better in basically every advanced statistic. Now, something that is brought up when discussing this award on this specific season is that the NBA should have done a joint rookie of the year, like a co-rookie of the year, which I personally do not agree with since there is always someone who is better no matter how marginal it is. And I believe either player would have been a fine choice to win the award, but I feel like especially with this new generation, myself included, before I did this research, nobody really understands how much competition LeBron had to win that award and that Melo versus LeBron was a very legitimate argument back when they first got in the league. Now, I want to obviously throw some banter at Mr. Mello fan here and ask, do you believe Mello was snubbed for the award? And if you answer yes, do you think LeBron's impact towards the media played a role in him winning Rookie of the Year? Because obviously he was seen as the chosen one. Dog, anyone you call the chosen one is like, and it should have been known that he was a lock for Rookie of the Year. It's like if Victor Wembanyama, let's, let's say Chet Holmgren is like a, not a marginally better player, but is clearly providing more impact to the Thunder, which I could see happening. Yeah. Um, but if Wemin Yama is getting these crazy blocking three-pointers and his stats are somewhat close and the Spurs win 10 more games, it's like we're going to give it to the the moneymaker. You know what I mean? But that's not what the case... That's a, I understand what you're trying to compare here, but that's not really the case with LeBron and Melo, is it? Because Melo had more wins. He was, even though he was only slightly better, he still looked better on the stat sheet. I mean, I guess you could look at LeBron's assist numbers, but I think comparing stats, they were about the same. But do you like? Do you think LeBron's? Because I, I think the comparison you brought up here, like Wemby had more wins or whatever, right? Like I, I think that's that's slightly different. And I also think that uh, the hype around Melo versus LeBron was more than the hype around Chet versus Wemby because Melo was supposed to be the second pick. By the way, I, I don't think you brought up in the draft. Um, Darko was ducking Melo. They were trying to get like workouts with him. And they were trying to like compare them and see like what who is this random European. There was yeah, very yeah. little insight about Darko coming into the league. Uh, I'm not sure if you know about this. He would intentionally duck workouts. Um, that's crazy. I, yeah, yeah, no, it's <laughs> it's a whole thing. It's and like Melo talked about it, and that's why Melo kind of fell. Uh, but do you think LeBron's impact towards the media played? Like basically the most crucial role in him getting the award over Melo. Well, yeah, because be seventy-eight what... over one hundred and eight of one hundred and eighteen votes for first place. Yeah, uh, I also think a big thing to do with it is if if Melo played for the Lakers or maybe Miami or New York off off rip, it would be different because if you're making what was the the record jump seventeen to 44? 43, 26 win jump. If if he does that on a team that's not Denver, I think he I, so there's there's a difference. There's there's factors as far as like where you're playing, how LeBron was treated in the draft, and how right. he was going to be treated for the rest of his. And he career. went back home. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's all, it's it, it's it it doesn't have much to do on the court. They get circumstances. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Is that all for your rookie of the year segment? Yeah, I just wanted to go over. Sorry, the I was. And... I've I've been digging through uh, these defensive rating leaders. Last Dude. year, Luka Doncic was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eighth in defensive rating. Okay, I'm just bringing up a stat and comparing them. Okay, I'll, yes, obviously, just... obviously, LeBron is a better defender, but LeBron wasn't near the defender that we see him as now in his rookie season. He wasn't a great defender in his rookie I'm, season. 
I'm just I'm just telling you what I think, and that defensive rating is an awful stat. Now, what okay. I've heard from uh, experts, this is not my opinion. I'm just I'm just spreading the word, is that the best way to figure out defense is opponent field goal percentage for the most part, especially with okay. rim protectors. Fair. Opponent field goal percentage while you're on the floor, but I don't know how to find that to be honest. Uh, so I'll just I'll just leave that out there. But well, let's just move on, and we just understand that Melo versus LeBron was a very serious debate. Yes, yes, uh, especially in year one. Now, aside from the 20-point-per-game rookie season, uh, this was not like a, a sophomore slump-type situation. The second year, uh, the Nuggets improved to 49 wins when they added Kenyon Martin. As Saney said earlier, the only real additions they made were Melo, Andre Miller, a healthy Marcus Camby, and then eventually Kenyon Martin with Melo clearly being the centerpiece. And they um, lost some roster pieces, too. So it's not like they yeah. just added those players to the roster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like they lost their uh, their their tank commanders at the time. We're putting up decent numbers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the 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 Ramon sessions of the team, if you will. Yeah, oh, oh my gosh! Uh, but aside from like the the big uh, debate in the rookie year, I mean, Melo was All NBA two times before age twenty four. Uh, at age twenty two, he was twenty nine points per game. He averaged twenty one points per game at nineteen years old. Um, he was considered fringe top 10 in 2006. This is still at 21 years old. I'm finding like these old uh, blog posts about him. Um, this guy had him 12th in the league in 2006. His description was hit more game winning shots than anyone in this NBA season and seems to play his best when everything is on the line. A true small forward in an age of tweeners, Melo has established the Nuggets as one of the top teams out West and he's only going to get better. Will forever be known as the player drafted after yes. Darko. That's the most 2006 statement. In an age full of tweeners. Um, but I mean, aside from that, there is not much to do besides... I mean, there wasn't anything else going on aside from the playoffs, so that's your go. Man, I'm just ready to talk about the Knicks. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, I, I, speaking of the playoffs. So Mello managed to take the Nuggets to the playoffs every single season he played there. But that does not mean he saw much success, especially at the beginning. In his first five playoff runs, Melo had a total of four playoff wins, with the most wins he got in a series being one and getting bounced out of the first round every single time, of course. Melo and the Nuggets never saw a series go past five games within the first five seasons, with his competition being Minnesota with MVP Kevin Garnett his first season, the Spurs his second season, who were the eventual champions. The Clippers his third season, who were the sixth seed compared to the Nuggets being the third seed. The Spurs again in his fourth season, who once again went on to become the champions. The Lakers in his fifth season, which was also the first time Melo had been swept. It wasn't until his sixth season that Melo finally made a run in the playoffs, where he took the Nuggets all the way to the Western Conference Finals, where they faced off against the Lakers, eventually falling short in six games as the Lakers went on to win the championship. And then the following season and Melo's last season with the Nuggets, he once again gets bounced out the first round, losing to a fifth-seeded Jazz in six games. Now let's take a look at Melo individually in these first-round exits and figure out why he couldn't take the Nuggets out of the first round six of the seven seasons he went to the playoffs with them. Melo's, Melo's rookie year, I'll give him a pass. They went up against a Minnesota team with MVP Kevin Garnett, and his team had no real expectations. But I would like to point out Melo took a huge dip efficiency-wise, which seems to be a recurring event, as you'll see. 
shooting a horrendous 32.8% from the field and 18.2% from three. Again, he's a rookie, not much expectations coming at him. Minnesota had probably one of their best seasons of all time in franchise history with that MVP Kevin Garnett season. So whatever, I'll sweep down another run. Melo's second season, his efficiency drops slightly again, but not too much, going down to 42.2% from the field, but he shot 0% from three because in the five games he played, he only shot one three and missed it. His third season, another big dip in efficiency, shooting 33.3% from the field and once again, 0% from three, only shooting four threes in the five games he played. His fourth season, even though they got bounced out again in the first round of five games, Melo actually put up great numbers, uh, seeing a rise in his efficiency, shooting 48% from the field and 50% from three on 18 attempts. His fifth season, he sees another dip in efficiency, shooting 36.4% from the field and 25% from three. I'm going to skip over 09 because we're talking about first round woes here. This is the year he went to the Western Conference Finals, so they saw success in the playoff run that year. I'll give it to them. In his seventh season, Melo shot 46.4% from the field and 31.6% from three, hovering around the same efficiency we saw from him in the regular season. So in the sixth season, Melo got bounced from the first round. Three of those seasons, his efficiency dropped terribly. Two of them, he stayed around the same mark he did in the regular season. And in only one season did he rise to the occasion, but still ultimately fall short. In Melo's first season in the playoffs, he was the third leading scorer with 15 points per game. In his fourth season, he was the second leading scorer with 22.5 points per game. And in every other season with the first round exits, he was the leading scorer. A lot of this could be due to how the Nuggets were built. Obviously, pairing AI and Melo was not great, as it was two ball-dominant scorers that are awful on defense, which makes it impossible to win games. George Carl actually touched base on this one, comparing John C. Phillips and AI during their time in Denver stating that he didn't get along with Allen Iverson and thought that he was a bad influence on Carmelo and the rest of the team, and that AI was unreliable and bailed on practice slash team meetings, whereas Chauncey was the complete opposite and very professional from day one, which could hint at the fact that there could have been some locker room tension since it seemed that AI was not as committed to the team as everyone else was. It also doesn't help that in four of the first five seasons, the Nuggets were always matched up against the powerhouse with MVP Kevin Garnett in his rookie season, the Spurs twice who won the championship both of those seasons, and then the Lakers who went on to go to the finals but ultimately lose in 08. The Clippers run though, that was, that was, just, that was just a flop. I want to segue into my next banter point for you, Hoop, and ask, based, judging off of Melo's individual performances, do you think it is possible to play winning bat playoff basketball with Carmelo Anthony as your number one option? Yes. Explain. Because well, first off, I can look at 2009. I know that's my part, which obviously you're talking about the first round. Right. Um, but I think as far as Denver goes, a lot of it is circumstantial as far as like Allen Iverson. You could say mm-hmm. he had superstar help, but that's just not a very good fit. He was much better off not than Chauncey Billups. Yep. Um, and then later on in his Knicks years, he did play really good playoff basketball um, a lot of the time, but was let down by Amari Stoudemire injuries. And there's a lot that I'm going to go into as far as the Knicks years go. Um, right. But to say that him by himself does not, like as far as being a, a number one option on a playoff team leads to destruction, I don't think he's like, he could be a hindrance as far as it might be a little tougher to build around than LeBron. Um, yeah, yeah. Because you definitely need defensive pieces and and players that are also dynamic um, LeBron it's more of he's kind of the engine you just kind of put role players around him with with right. uh, Melo you need more dynamic help but to say that he is like as your centerpiece you have a limit on your team I don't think that's necessarily true and I'm not pushing a narrative here I'm just asking based off of these individual performances obviously we see a lot of dips in efficiency yeah uh, to be fair though again like 
I think it should really be pointed out. Number one, there was clearly like those Denver teams were not built well at all. It seemed like heavy on offense, nothing on defense. And also, like, look at the teams they faced, right? Like like you said, it is circumstantial. What can you do? Like, I, you you go up against the Spurs in 05 and 07. <laughs> like, you, you, go, you go on the court. You tell me what you can do. So I don't want I don't... people to think I'm pushing a narrative here. I think the only year or the season that really can be pointed at the Nuggets and been like, what, what the heck were you guys doing was the Clippers year. Um, because when you take an in-depth look at that year also, okay. Clippers didn't, the Clippers, I mean, Elton Brand went off that season. He had a, I think it was one of his two all-star seasons in 05, 06. Um, but when it came to the playoffs, the Clippers didn't have a single player averaging over 20 points per game. I think the highest was 17. Um, and the Nuggets just ultimately couldn't come through. And I think that that was the one season that they could have got out the first round before 09. Yeah, and aside from the Kobe's of the world, that those mid-2000s were a lot of just garbage basketball. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean garbage basketball. It, was, it wasn't entertaining because it wasn't entertaining. It's the fact that it was just low efficiency, a lot of scrappy defense, not a lot of shots being made. So as far as the efficiency drops, like it's definitely noticeable to the point where you could say he did not keep up. He was not a Kobe Bryant level scorer um, at this time. He may have had one season where he could be not like neck and neck, but like somewhere in the realm. If you know, what yep. I mean. like he's just not on the same level as Kobe. Um, it's it's, it's going to be very interesting to compare players like Melo to like other stars, like for example, like Jason Tatum, especially when we look at efficiency. Because the game is so much more different. That's that's what I was going to say. Because now you look at today where these guys are averaging 30 a game and their efficiency is much higher, uh, especially in the playoffs. But it's much easier. But it's a lot easier. Much easier to have a higher efficiency. There's a lot of instances where players don't show up in big moments um, where Melo might pull through. uh, But then it's like, do you have that efficiency trade-off? Or it's like, is it worth having someone like a mega big shot but can't? you know, be as efficient the rest of the game. That's why Melo gets a lot of crap because he was like a scorer. Uh, he didn't do much else besides score. Uh, you guys got to understand too, you look at this efficiency, but th- like these games would end at like a solid 81 to 76 yeah. final score. You needed <laughs> every bucket you could get. Yeah, bro. like... Um, but if I could if lead... we want to segue into 09, yeah. Yeah, if I could lead into 2009, I mean, this was a year where the Nuggets won 54 games. They were the second seed in the West and they had dished... AI to Detroit for Chauncey Billups. I think AI played like three games. You can fact check that. But uh, the lineup going into the playoffs was Chauncey Billups, Dante Jones, Mello, Kenyon Martin, and Nene. Um, against the Hornets, they won in five. Mello played very well, 24, 6, and 5 on 47% shooting. Chauncey Billups was also uh, on fire on this playoffs. Um, he was a much better fit to the Nuggets than AI. He shot 65% from three in round one. Round two against the six-seeded Mavs, uh, the Nuggets win in five. Melo averages 30 and seven on almost 50% shooting. Billups is 21 points a game on 50, 40, 90. And then you have the Lakers where, you, I don't know if you've seen all the TikTok edits where it's like Melo and Kobe yeah, just yeah, ripping at each other for position and all that. It's like, oh, Melo actually played defense. Uh and it's very interesting because, like, I feel like those are misleading to the point where they it looks like it was a seven game series in, in those videos where the it's Lakers, like a scrappy. Yeah, like, yeah, I mean, it was yeah. a scrappy series. It, it, it was is definitely one of the cooler series to look back on. It, the Lakers won in six, but it was two two to start off. Um, and from like a bird's eye view of the whole series, Melo averaged twenty seven on forty one percent shooting. I mean, the the rest of the Nuggets just were not efficient. Um, and Kobe averaged 34 a game on 48% shooting. So Kobe obviously was, uh, like from a bird's eye view, the much better player. But if you go from game to game, 
like in in game one, Kobe had 40, Melo had 39. Melo was much more efficient, but the Nuggets lose by two. So it's a very scrappy like first four games of the series. Um, then Melo had a game where he shoots three for 16, but like the other role players are wide open. So I'd have to go and watch the full tape to see if like they're just forcing him to pass out and it's J.R. Smith and Chauncey Billups are making shots. Um, but that's not something we have the time to dive into today. Uh, but just the fact of the matter is people tell you, so, you know, uh, Melo really battled Kobe. He did for a couple of games, but Kobe was the far superior player. Um, so don't let that, those videos think, make you think that, you know, Melo was locking up Kobe. Not, yeah, it was 34 a game on back like 48% shooting. Like, it's Kobe, man. But to be fair, though, Kobe has said, Kobe has said, um, and he has mentioned that Melo did give him a lot of problems. Like when they asked like Kobe, like, who are the players that gave you the most problems in your career? Melo yeah. did come up. Yeah. Melo did come up, so I mean, kudos to Melo for that. Um, there, there's people who like. I no, yeah, I know what you mean. Like that that one clip where it's like, uh, Kobe trying to post up Melo, and Melo's just like sitting there. It's like, oh, yeah. So. <laughs> Watch the next ten seconds of that clip and see what happens. Uh, it's a little misleading. Um, yes, but the Lakers went on to win the championship. That was Melo's only real shot to contend for a title in Denver. And even that, like that team was not. They were. They were that great i mean kenyon martin was older uh nene was not a it was a fun team to watch to be fair but yeah but um how about new york how about new york i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna sit here and just listen um so Melo always wanted to go to new york and there is a big debate as to whether or not you should have just stayed for the rest of the 2011 season um and go over in free agency but he did get traded uh, sometime after the All-Star break uh, to the Knicks. The deal was Melo and Chauncey Billups. Chauncey Billups was playing really well at the time, but he was 34. Uh, the Knicks also got Sheldon Williams, Anthony Carter, and Ronaldo Balkman, for what that's worth. Uh, Denver got some pretty good Knicks role players from a season where Amari Stoudemire was an All-NBA caliber player. People said it could have been his best season. He was like kind of an MVP voting. Um Danilo Gallinari, Wilson Chandler, Raymond Felton, Timothy Mozgov in a first-round pick is what Denver got back. So it kind of gutted out the team to where in 2011, uh, the Knicks finished 42-40. and 40. Mel only played like 27 games. But that team going into the playoffs was Chauncey Billups, Landry Fields, who was very young. He was like 21. Melo, Amari Stoudemire, and Ronnie Turiaf, with the only notable off the bench being like Tony Douglas, who was a Knicks legend. Tony Douglas and Nicholas Legend, a Knicks legend. Um, but aside from obviously Knicks fans thought this team should win a title right away because Amari was second team all NBA. They got mellow, but, uh, Knicks fans are stupid and I will be the first one to say that. Um, the Knicks were second in offense and 27th in 28th in defense through Mike D'Antoni. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like the, because Amari don't play no defense. He, he's a big dude down there. He does not play a lick of defense. Um, <laughs> So in round one in 2011, I mean, Melo played well, uh, well, compared to the rest of the team. He shot 38% from the field, but he was 26, 10, and 5. Uh, Amari was dealing with a back injury where he averaged just 14 and 8. And considering those are the only two dudes on the team, really, uh, they just fell apart. They got swept. Uh, Landry Field started all four games and shot 20% from the field. Chauncey Billups. Landry Fields is a legend, bro. I have his signature on the ball back there. I met him. Uh, Chauncey Billups only played one game in the series. 
Uh, the only notable game from Mello was in game two, he went for 42, 17, and six in a three point loss, but that's just how outmatched they were by Boston. So that year is kind of like a throwaway as far as his Knicks tenure, because the, the whole point of this episode is for me to push the narrative and just honestly the facts that in Knicks, the, the Knicks were not Mello's fault. The Knicks were the Knicks' fault, and they ruined Mello as opposed to Mello ruining the Knicks. There's a lot of narratives surrounding that Mello just can't win basketball, and it's because of his New York tenure that that proves that. But there's a lot that went on during his career where it kind of prevented him to win. 2011's a throwaway. Amare's hurt. He was supposed to be, he was an all-NBA level player. I agree. Chauncey Billups, the only other notable scorer on that team, only played one game in the series. That's throwaway. Did you know um, Major Fields is the GM of the Hawks? I knew he was in the front office somewhere. Yeah, he's the GM. Shout out Landry Fields. Shout out Landry Fields. He was dope. Yeah. Um, <laughs> twenty twelve. That off season, there was kind of a roster flip because at this point, you know, all the New York fans are like, oh, you know, just year one, kind of retool. It's kind of like what the uh, the Mavericks did with Kyrie Irving. When you get him, it's like, all right, team's gutted. Now we're going to kind of build around him. This is when it really starts. So in two thousand twelve, they go into the year by adding uh, Tyson Chandler, fresh off that Mavericks ring who was really good, still Defensive Player of the Year candidate, who did win a deep boy. Um, Baron Davis was a starting point guard. So you had a, a roster full of Baron Davis, Landry Fields, Mello, Amari Stoudemire, Tyson Chandler. J.R. Smith they added with Amon Shumpert, who they drafted. Uh, Jeremy Lin, this was Lin Sanity's year. Tony Douglas, uh, sorry, uh, Jared Jeffrey, Steve Novak, Mike Bibby. So this is like a competent playoff team at this point. Um, the team went 18 and 24 under Mike D'Antoni, and Mike Woodson stepped up after D'Antoni just uh, he just relieved himself. He didn't get fired. And the Knicks went 18 and six under Mike Woodson. Um, and D'Antoni, he went 18 and 24, but he also was the coach during Linsanity. So like they were a lot worse than they should have been because Jeremy Lin was. We're not going to get to Linsanity. That should be another deep dive by itself. But he was uh, he he outplayed Kobe one game. That you, if you don't know about Lynn Sanity, Bro. I think everybody does. But man, Lynn Sanity, um, and that's a whole. I'm not going to get into the whole did Melo ruin Lynn Sanity thing, but Lynn Sanity did get uh, injured, which is why he missed those 2012 playoffs, um, which I'm going to get into. It. The Knicks' offense under uh, what's his name, Mike Woodson, went from two to 17, but their defense went from like 28 to five. Uh, this was helped a lot by Tyson Chandler and Iman Shumper, really good defenders, but. The 2012 playoffs, they have to play the Heat. The Knicks are the seventh seed. They're playing the the two seed Heatles. Um, Mello won the fourth game with 41 points, averaged 28 on the series. Jeremy Lin was out the entire playoffs. Amari Stoudemire this time was becoming a, a shell of himself. They added, um, what's his name, Bargnani the next year. That's how bad, not Bargnani the next year. I'm sorry. But that's how bad uh, Amari Stoudemire was getting. He was like 15 a night at this point. Um, and he was the guy that Melo was teaming up with. There were talks of Chris Paul coming over to form this super team of three guys. Um, and now Amari Stoudemire is literally just a shell of himself. Um, going into 2013, this is like the Knicks coveted Melo year where Mike Woodson takes the team to 54 and 28. The roster, they add back Raymond Felton. So it's Felton, Shumpert, Mello, Ronnie Brewer, and Tyson Chandler. Amari Stoudemire literally only played 29 games all off the bench and averaged 14 points. Some other people that like really contributed to the team was a 39-year-old Jason Kidd, 
Steve Novak, J.R. Smith, Pablo Prigioni, Chris Copeland, and James White. Melo led the league in scoring and was third in MVP voting. So this is a team that almost won 55 games without supposed, who was supposed to be their second best player in Amari Stoudemire. So this was really like a mellow MVP candidacy, candidacy type year. They were a second seed. I don't know if you remember that famous uh, Stephen A. Smith rant where he's talking about the Knicks, how they're going to beat the Heat. Uh, but yeah. this was a year that was like, it was really hyped. It was really hyped. Um, in the 2013 playoffs, they beat the Celtics easily in six. Mellow averaged 29 a game. Uh, and around two, they play Paul George and the team kind of crumbles. Melo averaged 28 on 43% shooting. So at this point, he's like a pretty established playoff performer, I'd say. We, we talked about his efficiency just before, but he is no longer a, a, a hindrance if he ever was. But their second leading scorer was J.R. Smith, and he shot 28%. Jason Kidd played in all six games of the series, played for 89 minutes in the series, did not score a single point. <laughs> Bro, didn't he become a coach the season after? Like, come on, give him, cut him some slack. <laughs> but I mean, that is true. He was thirty nine. But I guess the the point yeah, of this, <laughs> like, bro, he was old. But the point of this season is like, yes, they were the second seed. Yes, they had some magic. But what are you expecting out of a team that is like mellow and defense and role players? They have they have spot scoring. Steve Novak hit a three. There's still not really any dynamic talent which yeah. you would have gotten with Amari Stoudemire um so I mean they lose to the Pacers who were the three seed but I mean they would have got beaten by the heat anyway this as far as like competing for a title goes none of this so far has gone on mellow this has just been uh, Amari's bad back and whatever is going on with him situational it's all situational yeah. um now in 2014 the team starts to crumble uh the Knicks with a pretty similar roster. This is when they added Bargnani. Stoudemire is literally just coming off the bench now um, and dealing with, with injury. They went 37 and 45. They missed the playoffs. Uh, the, the only highlight was Melo did hang 62 points on Michael Gidkilgris. Yeah. <laughs> Do you remember the the the, the graphic? The Kia, yes. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> the 62 versus four points. Uh, that, yeah. That's the funniest graphic of all time, in my opinion. Shout out the uh, Lexus player performance. Player comparison. <laughs> Yeah, it yeah. was it was like fifty seven points, like 20, tw- 20 for twenty four shooting, and then it was I need Michael to pull Kidd- that up. Yeah, yeah, Kidd- that's hilarious. Chris. I'm getting that up. That's too funny. And what's even crazier is I think Melo got pulled with at least eight minutes left on the clock. It was it was this is it player matchup presented by Lexus. Yeah, fifty six points, twenty two for thirty for for twenty two out of thirty shots. Uh, six for ten from three, ten rebounds compared to Michael Kidd Gilders. Four points, two for four, zero from zero for three, zero for three, and two rebounds. Shout out Michael Kidd Gilders. Shout out Michael Kidd Gilders. <laughs> <laughs> and when I tell it, because I've went back and like tried to see who he was actually doing the scoring on, he caught at least eight middies, like yeah. in his grill, yeah. like eight eight jumpers straight in his grill. Um. But that was really all that happened in 2014, aside from Phil Jackson being announced as the president of basketball operations on March 14th. This was probably one of the most detrimental things that have happened in sports history. Um, <laughs> the Knicks were already like in purgatory as far as basketball goes. Mello was nearing the age of 30 
And because of Phil Jackson coming here, right, he managed MJ, Kobe, Shaq. He's dealt with hotheads like Dennis Rodman, Meta World Peace. He is the quote-unquote Zen master. He has 13 rings as a player and a coach. Because of this, Mello was convinced, I'll sign here for five more years, $124 million, to stick with the Knicks even after their mediocre season. He's expecting to win. This is his quote, I'm looking forward to continue my career in orange and blue and to work with Phil Jackson, a champion who builds championship teams. Madison Square Garden is the mecca of basketball, and I am surrounded by the greatest fans in the world. The first move that Phil Jackson makes as the president of basketball operations for the New York Knicks is to fire the entire coaching staff. Mike Woodson, gone. (laughs) His entire bench, gone. He brings in Derek Fisher to run the ancient triangle offense used in the third century AD that helped win Michael Jordan his rings and Kobe his rings. Except now you're doing it with a 30-year-old mellow and a uh, <laughs> a non-offensively gifted Tyson Chan. I don't, I don't know what's going on. Um, Steve Kerr was also a candidate for the job. Funny story. We actually were in, my family was in LA um, in like 2014 summer. For some reason, I forget why. We were at a Anaheim Angels game, LA Angels game, and we saw Steve Kerr there. And this was during the time where he was making the decision and he was rumored to be a Knicks coach. We saw him sitting there. And my dad was like, uh, you know, you should really join the Knicks. He's like, oh, I don't know, man. Uh, but we actually saw him at the time. They were making this decision. So they hired Derek Fisher. And at this point, Knicks fans are still pretty hyped because they have someone that should bring them the, uh, some success as someone who has done for his entire NBA um, player and coaching career. The next move he makes, this is Phil Jackson. Tyson Chandler and Raymond Felton were traded away to the Mavs for Jose Calderon, Wayne Ellington, Samuel Dallenbert, Shane Larkin, and two second-round picks, later used for Thanasis Antetokounmpo and Clay Anthony Early. Shout-out Jose Calderon, but that is an awful trade. Now, going into this season, um, the 2014-15 season, uh, the Knicks went on a 2-30 and 30 stretch. Two, two, two wins and 30 losses. Uh, Phil Jackson traded J.R. Smith and Iman Shumpert to the Cavs for Lou Amundsen, Alex Kirk, and a 2019 second round pick. They also got Lance Stevenson from the Thunder. This is when you guys got Dion Waiters in OKC. Knicks fans were furious because everyone loved Shump and JR and they were not an issue in the two for 30 stretch. At this point, it's a full on tank. Uh, the Knicks win 17 games this season. They lose 65. Now you could think, oh, uh, Phil Jackson's going into a rebuild mode and this is all a part of his plan. Except after the season, Phil Jackson says, so far, my experiment has fallen flat on its face. So he's already, this was not a part of the plan. Tanking was never a part of the plan. How do you, how do you accidentally win 17 games after being a 50, what, what were they, 54 wins two years before? How is that possible? That may be the saddest attempt at winning. Like if you how, get 17 wins because you're tanking, oh fair gosh. enough. But if you're trying to win. Bro, he was trying to win. You want to know who started more than 15 games on the Knicks that year? I'll list them off. This is aside from like Tim Hardaway Jr., Mello, like the productive guys. Jose Calderon, 
Langston Galloway. Shout out Langston Galloway, Knicks legend. That was Lou a 10-day Al- guy. That was when he got the 10-day opportunities. Langston and Galloway was a dog. Yeah. yeah. Lou, Lou Onmanson. Jason no, not a dog. Smith. Not Lance a dog. Thomas. Lance Thomas is not a dog. A- Lance I, Thomas I mess with Lance Thomas. I mess with Lance, Lance Thomas. Shane Larkin. Dog uh, <laughs> moments. Qu- Quincy AC. I, lo- I love his beard. Dog. Love- <laughs> dog. That is the <laughs> definition of, that's Kimbo Slice in a Knicks jersey. Dog. <laughs> Samuel D'Alembert. Cole no. Aldrich. Not Alexi a dog. Alexi Shved. Oh, biggest dog in the, the existence of dogs. Tra- Travis Ware also played 50 games. This was in a season where the New York Knicks were trying to win. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Didn't Baryani start a bunch of games that year too? No, I'm saying aside from the somewhat productive guys. Okay. Like yeah. th- those are guys outside of like the supposed everyday starters. Melo played 40 games. He averaged 24 points per game. But this was just a throwaway. And it was not supposed to be, apparently. Now, 2015 offseason, Phil Jackson makes probably the only good move he's ever made, which was also seen as a bad move at first. Drafts Kristaps, fourth overall. Um, you remember the Michael Rappaport video? Of course, Tingus Pingus. Tingus Pingus. I've never heard of that TV. <laughs> Yo, I, I messed with Michael Rappaport because of Prison Break. That's how I knew him. But yeah, yeah. Um, that guy actually follows me on TikTok. But um, shout out Michael Rappaport. Shout out Michael Rappaport. They draft Kristaps. They trade Tim Hardaway, who is already like a pretty solid Nick, for Jerry and Grant, who was a 19th pick in the draft. Uh, as free agents, they sign Aaron Aflalo, Robin Lopez, and Derek Williams. So it, it's literally like win now moves. It's it, it's like a, it's like a partial rebuild, if you will, because obviously you're not going to let a 31 year old Melo just hang out to dry in a whole rebuild. So he's like signing right. his players to win some games, but you're obviously looking for Porzingis and Jerry and Grant, I guess, to uh, provide some impact on a development side. That season, they win 32 games, so it's less horrendous than the first season. Um, but Derek Fisher is fired midway through for Kurt Rambis. The lineup was Jose Calderon, Aaron Aflalo, Melo, Porzingis, and Robin Lopez. Melo averaged 22 a night at this point as some shots are being taken away from him, but he's just out there kind of getting his buckets for no reason. Mm-hmm. Getting Porzingis, looked, Porzingis looked real solid. Um, the Knicks actually started out 8-6, and six, but everything else fell apart. Um yeah. They ended up 32 and 50. The 26... Not... What? Like, compared to 17, it ain't bad. Uh, it, ain't, it ain't that bad. I'd take uh, it over 17. But now get this. Next next season, in the in the offseason, Jeff Hornacek is hired. They trade for Derrick Rose, who's still on his MVP contract set at the time. This was a buttload of money. $21 million for the year. Um, right. They add Brandon Jennings. Joakim Noah was making like 18 M's a year. Yeah, he signed a, didn't he sign a 64 four-year deal? Don't remind me about 64 it, mil four-year. I know that. Like, bro, I knew that from the back of my head because of how stupid that deal was to me when I was a kid. Like, that's that, how quick I was re- to remember it. That is an 64 awful deal. mil on four years. And uh, shout out Courtney Lee. Courtney Lee was solid as a Nick. Courtney Lee's dope. Yeah, but he was basically, dope in the Knicks form this quote-unquote super team to now compete with Melo or no I'm sorry well they signed Derrick Rose and Joakim Noah to, to mesh with a superstar scorer in Melo who's like now 32 years old and 
a young and up-and-coming star in Christoph Porzingis. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Aaron Aflalo signed that season as well. I mentioned right? that, yeah. I remember like an old... Yeah. yeah. Shout, shout out Aaron Aflalo. Aaron Aflalo. Uh, they won 31 games that season. That super team. One, one less than the year before. <laughs> the super team. <laughs> uh, yeah. That season, uh, Derrick Rose averaged like 18. Porzingis was like 18. I was like 22, but they just sucked. Um, Phil Jackson, after the season, came out and said, I'm sorry, this is sometime during the season. This is irrelevant to do with the Knicks, but um, it has to do with Melo. Phil Jackson came out and called LeBron's business associates his posse. Like, he just used like a a very, like, disrespectful term. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And Melo was really upset with this because he was LeBron's friend, obviously. So this started some tension between Phil Jackson and Melo during the season, where after the season... Jackson said, we haven't been able to win with Melo on the court. He'd be better off taking his talent to go win a championship. Um, You're not allowed to say, like, players are not allowed to say they want to go play for another team. And the NBA, what's it called? The the head of the... The NBPA, right? The Players Association? The head of whoever that was at the time came out and called Phil Jackson. uh, Called out Phil Jackson for, for being an executive saying that to a player. Um, now, now Porzingis was upset with the Knicks drama and missed an exit interview, and Jackson was willing to trade him because to protect the future of the New York Knicks. That's a, that's what the reason is. Um, even after he was their most promising and bright player of the last however many years, right? Um, so now Knicks fans are really upset with Phil Jackson. His last move as a uh, his last move as the president of the Knicks. In the 2017 offseason, he drafts Frank Nealikina, eighth overall, and Damian Dotson in the second round. James Dolan fired him a week later. James Dolan might be the only man on earth who's worse than uh, Phil Jackson. Phil Jackson famously fell asleep during player workouts and missed the opportunity to take Donovan Mitchell over Frank Nealikina. Mello was then traded to the Thunder for Ines Cantor, Doug McDermott, and a second round pick. That's and literally the first line I have. We got to watch Mario Hazonia, Michael Beasley, Marcus Morris <laughs> all lead our glorious <laughs> New York Knicks to like hey, 17 Hazonia, wins. Hazonia and uh, all three no, of those guys were, were dogs. They were fun. They were fun yeah, they to were watch. Dogs. Yeah, That's what they I'm were saying. dogs. They were fun to watch. But uh, as Hoop City. Can, can I just going floor, year, please. going year please. by year. With the mellow narratives that you've heard of, you can't win with him. He ruined the Knicks. Was any single season his wrongdoing to the point of taking this team to win a championship? No. Any year? No. No. And you know why I think that we put so much criticism on these guys? Guys like Melo? LeBron James. LeBron actually ruined the narrative for every single player in this generation. Because when you see a guy like LeBron do everything he can by himself to carry a team. If you're not replicating that, you're instantly seen as the issue, especially if you're the number one option. And I think people don't talk about that enough. I mean, kudos to LeBron. He was so good that he literally made it impossible to be seen as successful in this generation. Uh, But that's not how the NBA usually works. And I think once LeBron retires, especially over these next few seasons, we're going to see a completely huge shift because I don't see a player right now in the league that can do what LeBron did. They're not going to emulate that. We're probably not going to see that for years. Um... To the point where LeBron, you can literally just have LeBron and George Hill and go to the finals. 
that's, that's see the that. thing. Like Luca has done similar, but nowhere near to the not extent. Not even near it. Not even near it. And, yeah. it. and it's showing more and more how good LeBron James is. Uh, but in Melo's case, to be fair, like like you said, like again, when they did have a decently built team, injuries came into play. Um, other than that, I mean, look at the decisions they made as a front office. Look at the tension that was built. People don't really understand the effect that like background stories can have, for example, like drama. And you don't think about that drama even two seasons after, right? Like in the moment, you can apply it and kind of put the blame. But then if a generation were to look back, nobody's going to think, well, Phil Jackson was messing around and kind of horsing around with that Knicks team, right? Nobody's going to think that. Everybody's just going to think, well, damn, Melo, Melo could have win in New York, right? Um, so no, I don't think I don't put the, any fault on Melo. And if anything, I put the fault on LeBron James. <laughs> no, no, no. But, uh, no, but seriously, like that's something that, and I'm so passionate about that and nobody talks about it. To the point where, and that's why I love these deep dives. You, you players do not get near the respect they deserve because guys like LeBron, only actually guy like LeBron, um, just made it so like he, he really underrated the whole generation of Hoopers because of how much he was able to dominate. Yeah. If you take LeBron James out of the picture, how different does the league look? There's not a guy who's dominating. There isn't. And you talk about uh, like this is one of the better rosters that Melo had in his late Knicks years. It's and it's not smack dab in the middle of his prime, but this is like late prime. This is a, a point in your career where you're past the the MVPs and numbers. You're, you're just taking a step ranks. back. You got to take a step back. You well, need and help. it's and it's less like that helps, but it's also this is strictly like this is ring season. Like your early thirties, right. I feel like a ring season. And right. he was put out there with Jose Calderon, Aaron Aflalo, a young Porzingis, and Robert Lopez. Like, what are you supposed to do about that? Running a triangle. <laughs> running a triangle yeah no i put nothing on mellow man i think Bro, they were trying to they had mendugas kuzminskis running spot minutes off the bench with willie hernan gomez rod baker shout, shout out ron baker Rush, shout out ron baker shout out ron baker <laughs> the, the shout out ron baker seriously. but like that's what they were putting out there no bro. i agree with you i agree with you i think again and, and it's something that kind of gets brought up in every single deep dive like you guys gotta understand how hard it is to have success in the 2010s and very I... hard can I say this last thing? Because we've obviously talked about the mellow side of things. And this is not his fault, what I'm going to say. But Phil Jackson should know better than to try to rebuild a mediocre team around a 30-year-old. Yeah. Close to 30-year-old. It's not LeBron. That's what I'm trying because, to tell you. And, you can and do you, that with LeBron. Because you have what was like their trade, quote-unquote, trade assets were J.R., Shumpert, Tyson Chandler, Raymond Felton. At this point in their careers, they are not going for a first round pick a piece. They're, They're not going for anything that makes you better. That is that roster was supposed to be completely blown up and Mello was supposed to be traded for more assets. The fact that he tried to rebound or re uh build that team around Mello is well, it's, it's not honorable, but it's and an they signed him thought. to a huge deal, right? They gave well, him a Phil, big bag. I I forgot to say that Phil Jackson got the biggest contract in a North American sports front office history at five years, sixty million. Um, and there's rumors saying that he didn't want the job when when Dolan first gave it to him for like twenty million, and he just raised the price until he couldn't say no. So people like speculate, oh, was he was he really not that serious about the job? Yeah, because it, re it really looks like he just toyed with the Knicks. Because when you trade Shump and Jr. and your your valuable pieces, sorry, Ryder likes Mello. Yeah. Um, like it was, 
it was meant to be a disaster and the real way to do it would be to ditch Melo for more pieces, trade him while he's hot and build around someone like a Porzingis and go through a Rockets type rebuild <laughs> with what you're seeing with them now. But yes, they had two awful seasons or three. I don't, my, I don't know. But they uh, now look pretty promising with Jalen Green and uh, what's his name? Amen, Amen Asar. Asar? Hey. I'm forgetting. Well, I'm saying they look really promising now, the Rockets, because they went through a true rebuild. So the Knicks had to endure through maybe three or four more years of just awful basketball afterwards because of their decision to try to rebuild around Melo. And I don't right. know if anyone could have done that successfully. And I think Phil Jackson would have been better to say that, uh, to not make that promise to Melo, to make him sign that five-year extension, if you know what I mean. Yep. No. I, I it, Yeah. It's interesting. Phil Jackson, that like my introduction to Phil Jackson was the Knicks era. So I never understood how like influential he was to the Bulls and Lakers, especially when until I got older. So my whole like grade school come up, just I thought Phil Jackson was an idiot. I had no, like, I didn't know why he was so respected. He was wasn't also was pushing older. seventy. At yeah. The time. No. To be fair, no. Again, I'm not hating on the guy. I'm saying that was my introduction to Phil Jackson. The yeah. 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 Uh, that's not a great introduction. Uh, I uh, uh, I didn't enjoy that. Um, we're we're era. an hour in, so I do want to go over obviously Melo's late career here. So I'm going to go over uh, OKC Portland and LA here in Houston, the short stint in Houston. Uh, but I do want to touch base on that, and I do have one final banner point I want to bring up with you at the end, and I think that'll be a great way to wrap up the episode. But as Hoop mentioned, obviously Melo was traded to OKC for Cantor, McDermott, and a future draft pick. Uh, and this was Melo's. Can most... I can I say one more thing? Sorry. What with. You remember when NS Cantor kissed the Knicks logo? Yes, I and do the- remember. And then he airballed. <laughs> and then he airballed. This is the funniest thing ever. That's the definition of the Knicks in the 2010s. Yeah, yeah. But this was Melo's most disappointing season of his career. And it revealed that he was unfortunately coming to the end of his prime. Melo went from being a consistent 20-plus points per game player in New York to dropping to 16.2 points per game in his lonesome season in Oklahoma. Now, you may think this could be attributed to the lesser role since he was beside PG and Russ. But if you take a closer look at his stats, you can see that he dropped in his efficiency going from 43.3% in his final season with New York to 40.4% in his one season with OKC. While the OKC Big 3 showed great flashes throughout the season, it was ultimately the inability to sacrifice and put aside egos that let their that led to their immediate downfall in their one season. Since we're focused on Melo for today, I'm obviously going to touch base on Melo's side of things and kind of not look at, you know, PG and Russ. But going through the stats of that season... You can see that through the first 10 games, Melo was averaging 21 to 22 points per game, leading the way in scoring for OKC. But it was around the 20 game mark where you see Melo's attempts per game get really low, showing that he was clearly starting to sacrifice his role. When reports indicated that Melo should start coming off the bench, Melo publicly voiced his frustration, stating that he wouldn't come off the bench, sparking the infamous meme, AOP, they say I gotta start coming off the bench. (laughs) Or they say I gotta come off the bench, sorry. Melo was known for taking a lot of consistent jump- contested jumpers in OKC and not making them. And he also had a career-low TS percentage of 50%, and his on-off numbers clearly indicated he was negative on both ends of the floor. The playoffs is where Melo really got exposed, having an offensive rating of 89 in that Utah series. Simply put, Melo was clearly out of his prime when he was in OKC, and it showed he was not the same guy he was in New York and Denver. After a failed season... It was obvious that OKC needed to make a change, and they decided to ship off Melo to the Hawks in exchange for Dennis Schroeder 
Fun fact, Melo never missed a shot in a Hawks jersey. He got a jersey, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he would eventually get weighed by the Hawks, never playing a game for them, and he signed to Houston the, fo- Houston the following season, where he only played 10 games, averaging 13.4 points per game on 40.5% shooting. The Rockets would eventually get rid of Melo 10 games into the season, and it seemed like Melo would be bounced out of the league following this, not landing a role with anybody until the next season on November 14th, 2019, where he was able to spark some life back into his career. Carmelo Anthony in Portland played the best basketball he had played since his New York days, bumping up his efficiency and more importantly, accepting the role of playing off the bench. Once Melo was able to transition into being more of a role player and a scoring spark, he was able to find a spot in the league again, being able to stick around in Portland for two seasons before signing a one-year deal in LA in the 2021-2022 season, which was ultimately the final season of Melo's career before retiring. Taking a look at that Lakers team, which was a complete failure, as we all know, as it was very recent, it should be noted that Melo was actually one of the highlights of that team. He showed up and did what he was signed to do, being a reliable scoring spark off the bench, putting up practically the same numbers he did in Portland, sending him off on a much better note than what would have been if he never signed a deal after Houston. And this segues into my final banter point for you, Hoop. Do you think if Melo sacrificed the role of being a starter and having or having a bigger role much earlier, aka the OKC days, that he would have found more success and never had to take that break where he was out of the league? I think it's an obvious yes, but it's interesting when you've been relied upon to create your own shots to then only be asked to spot up. Now, I think it was definitely an ego thing. Um, if he had, if it had been like 2K and you just get to put him here and just let him shoot, then yeah. it would have been easier for him to play with OKC especially. Like even in Portland, there were times like you saw the videos where he was like dicing up Zion. Like he still had opportunities in the mid-range or whatever. Um, but if he had found that rhythm earlier, not only would he have extended his career uh, and played those uh, that year when he uh, dropped out of Houston. Um, but he also would have climbed up scoring list all time. He's uh, ninth all time in scoring and he didn't play for how long was that absence? Uh, like 70 just over, games? Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. He didn't play the whole season and didn't sign until November of the following season. Yeah, so, I mean, there's a lot of, like, accolades. And a lot of weird guys got signed in that time. Like, he was not yeah, getting... Yeah, I remember. But uh, I think that's an obvious yes. I was yeah. going to say, um, with OKC, um, as far as, like, the... You said he took a, a scoring dip after a certain amount of games in the season. Were they Around the 20-game mark. When he was putting up however many a game, was were the, was the team actually winning or was that like a coaching change? I don't have that number, which is actually a good, cool thing to ask. I should probably look into... I, I can look into that right now, actually, while we... Yeah, last thing that I'll 18. say, I mean, at that point, he was, what, like 33 years old? Yeah, he was getting old, to be fair. Um, I don't think there was a season in Melo's career where you can pin losing out on a ring on him. There's times where you could say, or you could just say you should have been a better player. Um, but for who Melo was, which is not this LeBron, Kobe type player, but he's also better than a lot of fringe all-stars. Um, I think he did what he was supposed to do. And it's unfortunate that he lost out on a ring. I think he really could have fought for one, considering he is a really good head-to-head player. Yeah. With superstars, like he really right. did fight Kobe. He could fight LeBron in, in that Heat series. So if he had been surrounded with better units especially in that those 2012 2013 2014 years 
that yep. more people stayed healthy. Amari Stoudemire is really the killer because uh, those were the teams where we're actually kind of built well, and then Amari just kind of folded. Um, but the late years, he just had no shot because Phil Jackson's an idiot. The Thunder were four and six in their time, with like in the gotcha. first ten games where Melo was yeah. the leading scorer. Um, but that's a great way to end the episode. This was a fun one. Obviously, Melo's obviously a great name. I'm glad we were able to put some respect on his name uh, and kind of go through the situational things that he had to go through. Surprisingly enough, he went through a lot that nobody really talks about. Um, so that was definitely cool to do. And as always, make sure to show love on the episodes. Please give us a rating on Spotify if you can and Apple Podcasts, five star. <laughs> um, and also leave us a comment on YouTube if you're listening from there. Uh, make sure to subscribe. And we appreciate all the love we've been getting. Again, apologies for the little bit of the break without any indication on why we're taking the break. It was really just business. Like we had to get things sorted out for the pod. Uh, happily enough, again, the morals up. We're doing great. So don't don't stress on that end. Uh, and we'll be back on our regular scheduled uh, weekly episodes. Uh, this was a fun deep dive and we'll see you guys next week. Peace.